Business News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed we do, and tonight our guest co-host is Stephen Nathan. Stephen, uh, the kid's not uh, listening to Netflix this week, I hope. Let's hope so. I'll ban them for this hour at least. <laughs> Shame, I hope that uh, you don't put, <clears throat> you don't tell them that uh, you have to come and help us out here so we do need the bandwidth so that we can at least hear you but i'm sure we won't have the same issues as last week it's been interesting to see the tech shares which sold quite uh, aggressively yesterday in the united states it seems to have stabilized now i see the nasdaq is down 0.4 percent so a little bit of panic uh, and it was only a little bit only down two and a half percent might be over for now Yes, I think, you know, Alec, one's always got to look at these things in the context, you know, coming down 10, 20 and 35 percent in some cases. Uh, obviously, that is a big move, but you're really seeing a very short term period. You know, we're looking at you know a couple of weeks uh, and the tech sector has done incredibly well off a very high base over the last 12 to 18 months. So I think we've got to, you know, we've got to be sensitive to, to that. Uh, and we also know that uh, financial markets tend to overreact in the short run. So if there's a hint of inflation and a hint of rising rates, uh, then that gets you know if you if you if if uh, uh, you've benefited from very low rates because your your earnings into the future were so much more then you know you are going to get uh, something on the downside when that goes against your favour but it's still you know very early to tell whether this is a long term correction or just a short term blip in a, an otherwise very strong upward trend for tech shares. Well, we're going to have uh, lots of discussion on that subject with both you and Magda Wizikcha will be joining us in a little while. Magda is the founder of Signia. Lots to talk to Magda about, isn't there, Justin? Yeah, tons, Alec. Um, Signia also releasing an emerging market ETF, uh, which I think comes to the market in June or July. It'll be targeting five countries in the east, what they've uh, discovered as as areas of growth, so it'll be great to chat to her about that. Also, Signia's money market funds, as a result of APSAs, they've uh, lowered their fees to 0% until 2022. As a result of APSAs moving out of there, 85 billion. I don't know what to call it. Well, it it might have called, you might call it the CEO killer, because the CEO of APSA resigned or departed or... Exactly. Know, was fired very, very shortly strange. afterwards. Yeah. And then uh, the Vacitech IPO, which is a spin-off out of the the Signia OSI um, fund, which they've invested in through Oxford. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. So there's lots to talk to Magda about. And then at the top of the hour, we are chatting with Adama Stemmet. He's the spokesperson for the pensioners, government pensioners, who have got their pensions in the PIC and are very unhappy about the way the PIC has been handling their money. Today we had a, a cracking story on Bloomberg where the unlisted uh, fund that the PIC has, it's a couple of billion rand in there, the staff there are very unhappy and have, have written a nine-page letter, uh, existential crisis they call it. Yeah, I know, very concerning. I think we've joked about it on the program in previous um Uh, throughout the previous weeks about the PIC generally buying at the top and selling at the bottom. So it'll be great to chat to Adamus and sort of unpack what's been happening there in the the last few weeks because at the end of the day, this is pensioners' money and and, uh, money that can't go to waste. 
Uh, we'll also hear from him, no doubt, about what he thinks about Iqbal's surveys, 4 billion rand that he's got from the PRC, which is actually from government pensioners and is not wanting to give back. Uh, I know Adamus has been incredibly outspoken about that. Uh, also tonight, we are going to hear why degreeless jobs... Uh, people like me, you know, went to university one year. But I don't feel too bad about that because Steve Jobs also went, well, he only went for six months. Uh, Bill Gates went for a year. Zuckerberg only went for a little period of time. He didn't pass. Uh, so we don't, I don't feel too bad to be in that kind of company. Anyway, people like me without degrees are in demand uh, in the United States. Maybe um, to see. Maybe there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear more about that from Bloomberg and we will also be hearing from Treasury One, Andre Salia, uh, who will bring us up to date on the rant. Plans are afoot by the South African Revenue Service to address tax avoidance in the country's minibus taxi industry, which only paid 5 million rand in taxes last year. Finance Minister Tito Mbueni said in a parliamentary response that tax avoidance is across the tax ecosystem. South African miner Harmony Gold has reported a jump in third quarter core profit. Firmer bullion prices have helped miners' profits soar despite the COVID-19 pandemic, with the company receiving a 16% higher average gold price during the quarter of about $1,708 per ounce. The RAND extended its rally on Tuesday. Its 30% gain against the dollar since the height of the pandemic has outstripped emerging market peers. Analysts say that strong commodity prices and the global search for yield should support the narrative for further gains in coming months. Senior employees at a unit of South Africa's Public Investment Corporation have accused executives at the continent's biggest fund manager of causing an existential crisis after a series of scandals over the past few years. Staff at the Isibaya Fund, which oversees unlisted assets at the $136 billion PIC, submitted a list of complaints, including a failure to renew a mandate with the division's biggest client and allegations of general poor management. New information has emerged about the divorce of the billionaire Gates couple, with the Wall Street Journal reporting that Melinda Gates was meeting with divorce lawyers since 2019 to end the marriage with Bill Gates. The philanthropist had discussions with lawyers in October 2019, around when the Microsoft co-founder's ties to Jeffrey Epstein became public. According to documents reviewed by the journal, Ms. Gates and her advisers held a number of calls in October 2019 when the New York Times reported that Mr. Gates had met with Mr. Epstein on numerous occasions. Gates once stayed late into the night at Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, the Times reported. Epstein died in jail in August 2019, awaiting trial on federal charges related to sex trafficking. In early 2020, the Gates couple surprised many people when they said they would not attend the World Economic Forum in Davos. By that time, the Gateses were already in discussions to divide their vast wealth. For more on that story, do go to BizNews Premium, where you have full access to the Wall Street Journal. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, visit biznewsradio.com. That's an ugly, ugly story. Bill Gates uh, being close to Jeffrey Epstein. It's the one person, Stephen Nathan, you don't want to be associated with in the world right now. Uh, Epstein's, all the stuff that's coming out of, about Epstein is, is horrific. And now Gates spent, it was there late in the night. Oh, my word. Yeah, it's certainly uh, not someone who you would associate uh, uh, Epstein with. Uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates, as we know, is or he certainly is more in the Warren Buffett camp of you know hanging around those type of cerebral people and not looking at the limelight. Uh, so that is that is very very uh, unfortunate 
uh, and a bit concerning as well. It was interesting, though, when everything broke about Epstein, uh, all the, the sex scandals and the, the way that he, he made his money that nobody really knew how, uh, there was a lot of suggestions that much had not been disclosed. And, of course, now with Melinda Gates, clearly a woman scorned. Shoof. Anyway, we'll be following that story pretty closely. Bright There's Rock. No <laughs> There's more, more than one, I'm sure, Stephen. <laughs> Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Here's Justin. The JSE All Share Index was a bloodbath today, sharply lower at 67,300. NASP is down 2.3% to one thousand to 3,150 rand a share as Tencent was weekend on Kong this morning. Process down 3.3% to a touch over 1,400 rand a share. The share is nearly 30% off its highs and deep into bear market territory. Vronum and Sabanya Stillwater lost 4% to 65 rand a share as the positive Q1 update is simply a distant memory. Harmony Gold shed 5.5% to 68 rand a share as even safe haven commodities were sold off today. And High Prop lost 5% to 28 rand as the company announced an accelerated book build which raised approximately 360 million rand. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand to the dollar, 19 rand 80 to the pound and 17 rand 03 to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,829 an ounce. Brent crude is flat at $68.40 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 780000 rand a Bitcoin. And that high prop story? Very interesting. They announced an accelerated book build, which was oversubscribed. Java were the book runners, who I know are also their sponsors. Yeah, they cash-strapped. They didn't sell their Nigerian mall. That sale went through. It was promised. Um, I think that's what kept the share price pumped up. And... Quite honestly, opportunistic of them to do this book build um, at the share price. I mean, I think if that Nigerian sale was off the table from the beginning of the year, the share price wouldn't be near 30 bucks. We were hoping to speak with Mornay Wilkin, but uh, he's, he's yeah, busy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in budgeting. The irony here, Stephen, if they had budgeted properly, they wouldn't have had to raise capital today, huh? So I think it's not so much about the budgeting as being opportunistic. I think you're exactly right. You know, when capital markets are strong, if you can imagine being in their shoes uh, 12 months ago, you know, with lockdown, retail, you know, heavily involved in retail, your tenant areas, uh, you know, you were almost looking like, you know, bankruptcy was a potential scenario. Uh, now you've been given a lifeline with capital markets really strong. As you said, the share price up like 60, over 60% in the last 12 months. So it's, it's, it's actually a prudent, responsible thing to do just to protect the business and ensure you can get through you know, lockdown and strengthen the balance sheet. This market report was made for you, just for you, by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Magda Wezicha is the founder of Signia, and she joins us now. Magda, we've got a pile of questions to put to you, but I'm going <laughs> to start with uh, Paul Jeffries, who's on our uh, live uh, YouTube uh, chat, well, live mm-hmm. chat on YouTube. We've got a we've got a, a, a virtual studio going on mm-hmm. here, which comes through on YouTube, and we get quite a few people, members of our community, who tune in there. And Paul wants to know, he says, please ask Magda to shed mm-hmm. some light on her Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund's performance. 
seems to have started declining mm-hmm. from the Section 28 retractment that she and Magnus were so positive about and then continued down. Um, Alec, um, thanks for having me. Um, I think, you know, the, the Singapore Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund uh, tracks, you know, disruptive innovation index, which really invests, you know, in, in sectors such as um, electrical vehicles, autonomous tech, genomics, you know, all these kind of futuristic trends. Um, and, you know, uh, all of those companies, I mean, the, the fund itself holds over 380 different companies. Um, so it's a very well diversified fund. Um, and not, no single holding exceeds, I think, 3% of the, of the fund. Um, and it has a ve- it had a very, very strong run last year. So it returned over 80% return, and that's in dollar terms. Uh, what we have seen this year is, you know, January, um, we still had a bit of a market upside. And then since kind of, you know, end of January through February and March and, and going on, we have seen equity markets retreat. And that retreat has been, you know, largely a function of fear of inflation, resurgence of COVID, shortage of vaccines worldwide. So all these kind of big picture macro factors. Um, and, you know, in that retreat, the technology stocks in particular have been, you know, hurt harder than, you know, some of the other beltweather type uh, companies um, and certainly harder than, you know, commodity stocks, which actually have benefited. Um, and consequently, you know, the, that is what you have seen in the performance of the Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund. And I think, you know, the, the reality is twofold. One is whenever you've had such an exuberance in a sector, you must expect some trending downwards and you have to expect that, you know, some of the froth will come off. Uh, but when one actually looks at the underlying approach of the fund and what it invests in, it's still the fund that I would put most of my money into, apart from Signia. Uh, Oxford Science Innovation Fund, of course. It's it's really interesting to compare you with uh, Kathy Wood's mm-hmm. Arc Innovation Fund because in, mm-hmm. in most people's perception, they're similar. However, the mm-hmm. Arc Innovation Fund is down 35% from the peak mm-hmm. in uh, February, whereas yours is Indeed. down 16%. So mm-hmm. relatively speaking, not so bad. Uh, however, mm-hmm. uh, Kathy seems to be in a different area. She doubled down uh, in the past week by mm-hmm. a billion rands worth of Twitter shares and then went Hello. big into Coinbase, which actually worked out for her at, the, at that time. Uh, I, I heard her being described uh, as a conviction investor. <laughs> would, mm-hmm. would you say that her convictions are going to get her into trouble or is this the new Warren Buffett? So, so like, I mean, it's interesting that you ask and maybe you know, I shouldn't talk too much, uh, but you know, I always do. Um, so, um, you know, my... Next plan, let's see how it works out, is to actually take on ARC in the international markets, but doing what they do, uh, thematic investing in the futuristic trends or disruptive technologies, but on a passive basis. So what Kathy Woods does is, you know, she ran the, the ARC Innovation ETF is very similar in, in terms of philosophy and objectives as Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund. However, it only has 58 shares. And, you know, it might not surprise you to know that the top three shares in that ETF or in that fund constitute over 20 percent 
of the portfolio. So her largest holding is Tesla, which is almost 11% of the fund. So when you look at the, you know, that kind of an, and the other two are Teladoc Health and Rockwell. So when you look at such a concentrated, active positioning in few counters, you can literally see the tail wagging the dog. Uh, because it's an unbalanced portfolio. And, you know, the, the approach that Kathy Woods has taken is to manage this kind of, you know, disruptive innovation theme on an active basis. Whereas, you know, I believe that a much more sensible approach to investing, and I do believe that everyone should, as part of a balanced portfolio, invest in the future um, and into companies that have the, you know, are, are not the sunset industries, are the sunrise industries. Uh, but one needs to do that in a very diversified manner, which is, you know, what Signal Industrial Revolution can achieve. Uh, whereas, you know, when you start taking very large bets on individual companies in that disruptive space, you are bound to run into trouble and experience much greater volatility of returns than, you know, well-diversified portfolio. Our guest co-host, Stephen Nathan, knows all about fund management and, and this area. As you know, he was the founder of 10X, and uh, that's an interesting uh, international uh, uh, target that you've you've put on mm. Kathy Wood's back, uh, Stephen. <laughs> do, you, do you think that Magda is going to go and uh, uh, take take her out, or at least be successful in this uh, passive versus active in probably the hottest sector uh, in the world right now? Yeah, so I think it's a it's you know uh, it's very interesting what Magda is saying, and I and I and I definitely agree with her. Uh, from the fact that uh, you know, when you have a portfolio, uh, if you've got a, if you've got a high conviction portfolio, then you know, clearly if you get it right, you're going to do much better than the index. But if you get it wrong, you're going to do much much worse. So you're almost making two decisions. The one is, you know, should I be investing in disruptive technology? You know, how much of my my, my money should I put there? Uh, and that you know, that's quite a challenging question for a lot of people to ask to answer because you know clearly you want to be part of the future as magda, magda said uh, but also you know it's not without risk and a lot of these companies are highly valued so when you do that into a high conviction fund i think you're adding an element of risk on risk and i certainly prefer uh, you know magda's approach of holding many more shares and being far more diversified because it's very difficult to pick the long-term winner when the technology is so fluid, you know, nobody knows who the winners are going to be. That's part of the excitement. It's part of the interest. Um, so when you're taking these really high conviction bets, uh, you know, I think I, I think that's probably too much risk. So I wish Magda all the very best. Well, you've got a vote then from Stephen Nathan, Magda, <laughs> Thank on, you. on that one. Thank we, you. we had a question last night from Lerata, uh, which we couldn't get round to on our YouTube channel. And she asked whether... It'd be interesting to get your response to this. Kathy mm-hmm. Woods ARC funds can make a comeback. Is it a good time to buy? I think, you know, you will she will make a comeback. I've got no doubt about it. But I think it will be a very volatile ride. So I think, you know, you will have twenty percent up, twenty percent down, you know, maybe, you know, fifteen percent up. 25% down, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you really are placing a reliance on few shares in that portfolio. You know, the, the fact that there are 58 shares is largely irrelevant because, you know, anything below kind of, you know, 30, um, so, so there are 58 shares 
anything below 30 is less than 1% of the portfolio. And many of her other positions are kind of, you know, I'm looking at the portfolio right now, so I'm not guessing. Um, you know, many of her positions are in this kind of 1.2, 1.3% range. So immaterial to the actual performance uh, of the fund. So you really have to look at her top 10 holdings where most of the fund is positioning positioned and Coinbase is, is part of it. So is Spotify, so is Zoom, so is Square, which is a very exciting company. But, you know, the, the biggest position really is Tesla. Um, and, you know, if, if you believe that those companies are the companies of the future and will recover, from where, you know, she's dropped, then yes, but, but just know what you're investing in. You're investing in those 10 companies. You're not investing in a well-diversified portfolio. Let's move on or move backwards a little uh, because it really was a seismic shock when ABSA decided to close its 85 billion rand money market fund. We criticized it loudly on this program uh, on the view that they were not going to be successful in getting people who invested in money market funds to switch into bank deposits. Uh, and we know subsequent to that, the CEO has left, resigned, fired, call it what you will. Uh, but he might well have been a victim of that decision. From your side, though, you've had an interesting reaction. You've seen this as a market opportunity at, uh, at Signia. <laughs> okay, it's always a market opportunity. You know, so, so I think, um, you know, what APSA is relying on in terms of moving, because I think the move is automatic unless you opt out. Um, you know, so, so they're relying on the fact that a lot of the, the investors in the money market fund either won't be able to tell the difference or, or won't care particularly whether they are invested in a money market unit trust or whether they invest in a, you know, in, in a bank account. Of course, the move does provide um, a little bit of a cynic, but, you know, I think it does provide APSA with much greater lending capacity, having the money on the balance sheet instead of in the unit trust. Um, so to, it was a very smart business move. I think it's absolutely independent of Daniel's um, move, you know, and, and resignation from the position of CEO. And, you know, knowing APSA a little bit, um, you know, I didn't find it. I find it. I found it very disappointing because I actually know him personally um, and he's a super smart guy. Uh, but I think what he encountered is, you know, a clash of cultures of many years in the making. So I think, you know, Maria Ramos was the type of leader who led on a very decentralized basis. So she allowed, you know, divisions of APSA to operate as separate businesses with their own pseudo CEOs in place. Um, and then, of course, there was this huge gap when they were looking for a new CEO um, until Daniel stepped in. And he, you know, what I know of, of him, you know, he has a very centralized style of leadership. So he would have wanted to be very hands-on involved in each and every one of these businesses. Um, and of course, he found resistance. Uh, APSA is a very large business um, and he found resistance. And, you know, it was that, I mean, call it clash or misalignment. Um, and I guess, you know, the board of directors had to make a decision as to, you know, which way they go. Uh, but I find it very, very disappointing that he has left APSA. I think he should have given it a much longer go and a harder try. Magda, everyone's excited for the new Signia Emerging Market Fund uh, launching soon, focusing on five different regions in the east. Can you just unpack that ETF in greater detail for us? 
So, you know, we, we've long recognized that, you know, South Africa is just one of um, many emerging markets. And, you know, we, we tend to talk about emerging markets as if they were, you know, all the same. And certainly there is some behavior of international investors, such as, you know, switch into emerging markets, switch out of emerging markets. And that is typically driven by the cost of borrowing and, you know, higher yields offered by emerging markets. But the actual fundamentals of emerging markets, such as, you know, India versus Malaysia versus Brazil versus South Africa, for that matter, which is very small, um, are very, very different. And consequently, you know, the, the exposure that you're buying is a very diversified exposure um, as opposed to just, you know, the South African specific exposure, which, you know, frankly, if you look at the JEC, it's all about commodities these days. Um, so, you know, our view is that, again, in a well-balanced portfolio, if you want diversification, it's not enough to buy the MCI World Index, because if you look at the composition of the MSCI World Index, U.S., is, you know, I think 48% of that index. So you really are buying kind of half of US and then the rest of the world is kind of on the fringes. Um, so, you know, a much better way of uh, structuring your portfolio is to look at developed markets or, in, in fact, geographical locations as far as developed markets are concerned, because I would certainly, you know, overweight China and US relative to, you know, some of the others relative to Europe. Um, but then you look at, you know, emerging markets and you certainly should have a higher allocation to emerging markets than what you can achieve through a broadly diversified, you know, MSCI World Index benchmarked fund. Um, you know, and, and hence we do believe that, you know, we, we need to start launching more building blocks for investors. So emerging markets fund is one. China fund is coming next. Um, and then we will look at some of the thematic um, fourth industrial revolution type ETFs um, as well. That's interesting. Uh, before we let you go, the Vacutech IPO, uh, you did mention mm -hmm. earlier, uh, we, those who aren't aware of it, it's, it's where the mm -hmm. Oxford University uh, COVID-19 vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, the RP sits. Uh, what's the progression on, on that side and what would it mean for Signia investors? Um, Alexa, the Vasitech um, owns the, you know, part of the IP because part of it is owned by Oxford University, part of the IP behind, as you said, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, and it's the first of the OSI, Oxford Science Innovations uh, companies to actually IPO. Um, and, you know, what is exciting about it is that obviously in terms of the value um, at which it is carried on in books of, you know, OSI or the balance sheet of OSI, it's much lower than what it IPO'd it. Um, you know, the, the question mark to me about the Vasitech IPO and many, you know, and, and there are many more Vasitech type sized opportunities and spin-out companies in the OSI portfolio. My question mark always from a commercial perspective is how many of these companies are really ready for an IPO? Um, and, you know, Vasitech decided, and obviously there's an independent board of directors which sits underneath the OSI board, where, you know, where we do have representation. Um, so they decided to, to IPO, but they IPO'd, you know, against the background of obviously AstraZeneca, and I think very unfairly so, has come under some 
you know, horrendous PR, they are now trying to, they are now fighting back. And so, you know, and uh, given that AstraZeneca has, you know, just slightly lower efficacy than Pfizer's and Moderna's, there is absolutely no reason why, you know, it has come under the bad press that it has come under other than lack of responsive PR from the company itself. So I actually blame AstraZeneca. Um, but also it's the only vaccine that is being sold at cost. So, you know, that hasn't kind of been appreciated by investors. But Vasitech itself, um, you know, listed against the background of all of that AstraZeneca noise. And, you know, if it was up to me, I would have waited. So AstraZeneca, for instance, is is currently applying for a full approval, not emergency approval with FDA. If that is granted, you know, Basitec will benefit hugely from that. So I think it's, you know, the, the Basitec IPO is proof of concept uh, that is Oxford Science Innovation. And, the, you know, and, and the concept is that you can commercialize uh, world's leading IP and turn it into world's leading companies, which deserve to be highlighted and, you know, in the public markets as opposed to private space. So, you know, on one hand, the IPO itself probably disappointed some investors, happened against, you know, horrendous market background, but it definitely is proof of concept. And, you know, I think in the next uh, couple of years, you will see more OSI uh, companies IPOing internationally. Um, so we're very excited over the fact that, you know, this is starting to happen. Last question comes again from our YouTube channel. Uh, Ray Wolpe wants to know, does Magda believe Square's share price is currently overvalued? You did mention it a moment ago as one of Kathy Wood's yes. top holdings. I think, you know, if, if you want my honest opinion, I think everything in her top 10 holdings is, is overvalued. Purely because, you know, ARC has attracted so much money last year that, and they have thrown that money at these top 10 shares. They have driven up and then what they do as part of the, the marketing, they make all of the positioning, you know, all the, the investments that they make, they make it public. They write newsletters about it. And what has happened in the U.S. in particular is that there has been through COVID, pandemic and lockdowns, emergence of the retail investor. So suddenly you have platforms like Robinhood with, you know, young people sitting at home and day trading. And they listen to the commentary and narratives coming out of ARC um, and they buy the same positions. So they drive up those share prices indiscriminately without knowing what they're doing. So watch out Without for Square. It's, uh, so it, I, it could be not so good, not such a Square deal. Well, I think it's a fantastic company. So when you actually unpack what Square does, which is, you know, kind of, it takes, you know, point of sale devices to a brand new level driven by machine learning, driven by, you know, feeding back to merchants. I mean, it's an incredible company to research with huge future potential. But if you look at short-term valuations, overvalued. Magda Wizikcha, founder of uh, Signia, interesting Vacutech. Uh, you'd never guess who, well, I would never have guessed anyway, who the chairman of Vacutech is. Did you see, uh, Justin, do you know? Have you ever watched The House of Cards? I've heard it's a great series. I haven't watched it, though. Have you watched it, Stephen? The uh, House of Cards? House of Cards is... It's on Netflix anyway. Well, if you've either watched it or you haven't, but the... Your kids have watched the it, The star Stephen. of House of Cards 
is the president's wife, the crooked president's wife, who herself becomes president, Claire Underwood, and she is played by Robin Wright. And Robin Wright is the chairperson of Vacutech. So they certainly have gone for star quality on that uh, on on that stock on the uh, the one uh, that IPO'd as Justin said just a few days ago. Oh, would you be uh, be buying what uh, what Magda says about it, remembering that this IPO'd on what was it the second of May hasn't done much yet. Yeah, so you know it. Clearly, it's one of these companies that has blue scarf potential, and it, you know, I tend to be a bit risk averse. So, you know, one wants to have a portion of your portfolio that would be exposed to these kind of investments. But as I said earlier, you know, the first thing is how much should I have in this category, you know, and then and then where do I invest it? Do I go for one share, uh, or do I, you know, do I have a concentrated bet, or do I go for a portfolio? And you know, my view would rather be to. Be a little bit more cautious. Go for that portfolio. So rather invest in a portfolio of these sort of companies rather than trying to pick the needle in the haystack because it's it's just so hard to know. And also one of the one of the problems with disruptive technologies is often uh, they don't make money for many of the companies. If you go back in time to the railroads and all these you know these fantastic inventions, uh, cars. You know there was I can't remember how many, but it was over 500 car manufacturers. You know, at the beginning of the 20th century, and only a few survived. And even today, they're not they're not doing that well. So you've always got to differentiate between great technology, great businesses versus an actual great investment. Stephen Nathan, uh, our guest co-host here on a Tuesday night, and uh, we're going to now move on to something similar: uh, the the strong rand, the powerful rand, the all conquering rand, which got below 14 against the U.S. dollar. Uh, here is a short clip from an interview that Jackie Cameron had with Andre Salier of Treasury One. This currency focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. Andre Salier is currency risk strategist at Treasury One. He joins me, Jackie Cameron of BizNews, to pick up on how the RAND has been doing this week and where it's heading. It's been below 14 this morning, and I think we will most probably see it going below 14 again this week. And I would not be surprised to see it moving into the direction of the 1380 levels. And I think then we will change our range trading that we have and, and move into a new range of 1380 to 1440. As long as the story remains of a buoyant commodity prices, low interest rates in America, and vaccines coming, doing better throughout the world, and the economy starting to grow, we will see the dollar on the back foot, and we will see emerging markets do better. And the only thing that will change that is if we see significant demand coming from South Africa, and that would be only happening if we see manufacturing industry and so forth coming in and buying dollars because they're actually expanding, building new stuff and building up the inventory levels. And inventory levels will only be built up if we see people spending and the need for higher inventory levels is there because people are actually buying the goods and not just food and the little bit of clothing that they do at the moment. 
Do you think that the RAND could get even stronger later on this year then? Well, we said last week that the RAND is still in an undervalued area, and that still remains. And as long as we now actually do better on a fiscal side and tax collection looks better and there's less pressure on the fiscal side to go and borrow more money and they keep their spending under control, then that, that part of the story actually also starts positive. So yes, very much likely that the RAND will remain in fairly strong territory for quite some time. What do you see happening with the RAND versus the British pound? Well, the pound increases, if we see the dollar weakening and the pound increases, I think there's a very good chance that the pound could actually increase a little bit more in value than what the dollar actually weakens against the basket of currencies. So the pound could do better. And that's simply because I think the economy will start looking better. And I think they, you know, the whole Brexit affair and situation is starting to look and playing out not too badly. And if the pound then gains more value, then we could see that the strong pound against the dollar could hold back on the rand actually gaining quite substantially on that as it would against the dollar. So we could see the cross rate of the pound actually weakening slightly, not a lot, but slightly weakening uh, bias to that side because of the pound actually doing better. You've been listening to Andre Salier, currency risk strategist at Treasury One. For more of his insights, do head over to biznewsradio.com where you can hear the full interview. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biznews. Indeed, there are lots of uh, great interviews for you on biznewsradio.com. Just put that into your URL, into your browser, and uh, it'll bring you to a particular page where you've got all of our podcasts, including the live feed. If you're not near your radio and you'd like to connect with us between half past five and half past six weekdays and just stick that in stick that uh, address into your phone biznewsradio.com and away you go uh, just to remind you as well that magda wizicha is one of our star keynote speakers at the business investment conference the first one that we had in march was uh, fully booked very quickly uh, and uh, this next one, which is at the end of August and the beginning of September, so August 31 to the 4th of September, 3rd of September, uh, is already three quarters full on the current regulations. So we, and that's still three months away. So we're hoping that we'll be able to increase the number from 100 where the current cap is. But if we can't, and if you haven't booked early, you won't be able to attend, I'm afraid. So if you've got any interest in going to the Business Investment Conference, it's in the Drakensberg at the beautiful Champagne Sports Resort. And uh, they really, really treat us uh, royally there. Just go on to Business, look on the right-hand side of the homepage and scroll down a little bit and you'll see there's a, a link to the Investment Conference. Click on that. You'll get all the speakers who are in the conference, including Magda Wesicja. And the great thing about this, because we're all in the Drakensberg, is that the presenters stick around for the full period. So you actually get to meet them and um, there's your chance to shake Magda's hand if you think she's great or uh, to, you know, you're not allowed to heckle, no chance. Adama Stemmet is the spokesperson for the Association of Monitoring and Advocacy of Government Pensions. And before we bring Adamus in, Stephen, it's, very, it's a very important field, and it's one that you know a heck of a lot about, uh, retirement funds and pensions, and the Public Investment Commissioner, which looks after 
government pensions. Now, there's another scandal brewing around the PIC. It seems to have had a very, very turbulent time. And not surprisingly, pensioners like Adamus and, uh, and the group are worried because their money is tied up in the PIC and will determine uh, what kind of pension flow they get in the rest of, the rest of their lives. Yes, uh, Eric, what's very interesting about the government pension is that it's the it's the old style defined benefit. And really, you know, what, what a defined benefit says is that there's a contractual obligation on behalf of government, the employer, uh, to provide a pension based upon year service. So it's a whole formula for every year service, you get a percentage of your final salary. So let's say you work for 40 years, it might say you get you know, 80% of your final salary, and it'll say that that will grow by inflation every year. So it's a, it's a, it's a defined benefit. And in a bizarre or perverse way, uh, the actual investment management has got nothing to do with a defined benefit. So, so as a member of the GEPF, as a government employee, what you would be worried about is so the government can't pay and the government can print money. So, so you know, unfortunately, um, the taxpayer should be more worried than the actual members of the government in, uh, pension because the taxpayers effectively are underwriting it. And, you know, what is being said is that, well, the government can just print money. In fact, there was an article, I think, today in the business day that basically said, well, one of the ways with this, with a wage dispute, the public sector wage dispute, is not to is to freeze pension fund contributions as a way of freeing up money uh, for the government. Uh, now, now that sounds absolutely bizarre to me because really what you're doing is you are, are are actually giving people that salary increase because the defined benefit doesn't change unless they say we're going to give you less of a of a of a pension. So it'll be interesting to hear what specifically the concern is uh, from from the government uh, pension side. I don't know if it's uh, you might recall with Transnet, the Transnet Pension Fund, which is actually not part of the uh, the GEPF. It's a separate fund. There, the pensioners were worried about the pension increase. So because the fund did not perform, then they got a much lower pension increase. So I'd be interested to, to, to see what the specific concern is. And we know, you know, the governance has been uh, uh, atrocious, I think would be a fair, you know, the, the governance and the transparency really has been atrocious. But as I say, uh, unfortunately, uh, the lack of performance and 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 the underperformance because of the governance uh, falls upon the South African taxpayer. Adamus, uh, Stephen Nathan, who's the founder of 10X and knows this field really well, has unpacked it for us. What then is your concern or the concern of your organisation? The concern of our organisation is, firstly, secrecy. We have secrecy from the government employees fund the Board of Trustees, especially the, the PIC. Now, only yesterday, uh, a new story broke in the newspapers uh, about uh, senior people of the PIC now uh, worried about the, uh, the Ishibaya investments. And uh, we really do not know uh, why they are worried. But we understand that... Uh, uh, perhaps they are worried because uh, that they might lose their, uh, their jobs. We are more concerned uh, about the Isibaya uh, investments. You know, Isibaya investments started off in 1995, and it was kept secret. Uh, like most pension matters, uh, GEPF matters uh, uh, are kept secret. Through the politicians, we forced the PIC 
to give full particulars to uh, standing the standing committee on, on, on finance, they were not very happy about the information they got. This was the first time that they got full particulars, but as Mr. David Manil said at that meeting, he was not sure that they gave all the information. Now, we, we are glad that if the staff now is putting, forcing uh, 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 the PIC to come forward about the, the, uh, the mandate, now I must say immediately that the, man, the mandate concerns all investments. The, the, uh, that is a mandate by the GPF Board of Trustees to the PIC. Adamus, you, you, you're really not coming through well, I'm afraid. So I, I just uh, wanted, uh, if uh, you can uh, just uh, keep, uh, your, uh, keep your comments pretty short so that we can, we can uh, pick up on them. There is another scandal. You said that the Isibaya Fund, which is about a, a couple of billion rand, uh, that invests in unlisted uh, investments. Are you worried yes. that that's been going to caters and to people, uh, in other words, being wasted and, and being your pension money being used by those who don't really have an intention to build a decent business? Uh, you, all investments on behalf of the GFPF should, according to the, uh, our pension law of 1996, be made firstly to sustain the fund and, and further to, to contribute to the growth uh, of the fund. That is not always happening. Okay. At, uh, at the meeting in 19, uh, the SCOF meeting in, uh, on 18 October 2016, we, we had uh, 65 out of 250 uh, Isibaya investments uh, underperforming and not even showing uh, uh, an IRR. In other words, a zero. And then there was losses up to 55. No, minus 55%. Now, uh, uh, regarding the, the mandate, we've been waiting now for years and years for this mandate to be reviewed. But, of course, uh, like the pension fund, everything about the pension fund is secret. Uh, in 2018, at the party commission, they, there was evidence that the GFPF outsourced the revision of the mandate to a private company. And they'd been working two years on it without completing it. The party was of the opinion that they could do it in two, two months' time, and they were instructed to complete it by 30 June 2020. Now, Adamus, that is, uh, this, is, this is fascinating to, to you, and uh, unfortunately for a broader audience, uh, the issue that we're trying to get at here is whether or not you agree with Stephen Nathan, uh, Nathan to say that the governance has been atrocious at the PIC. Yes, we, we do not trust the PIC at all. And I... I, I the, and we are also lo losing trust in the GAPF Board of Trustees very quickly, especially now after the President's statement about cadre uh, de uh, deployment. The PIC is a government institution, and we cannot trust them at all. 
they are controlled by government, and they, we are sure that there are a lot of cadres deployed there. The same at the GEPF. GEPF. You've also been very vocal about the loan that was made or the investment that was made to Iqbal Survey's company, IO. Are you seeing any light at the end of that particular 4 billion rand tunnel? Unfortunately not. Uh, I, I do not want to talk about the, con- the contents of uh, the two cases. There are two cases. So the one is for, for the insolvency of Secundialo. That's about independent media. And the other one about um, AO. Now, two years ago, uh, the matter was taken to the Supreme Court. Nothing happened since. We've been asking questions. Journalists have been asking questions. Politicians have been asking questions. But it, everything is dead quiet. We are concerned that this matter will again be swept under the carpet as happened before, and I do not have to remind you about what happened at African Bank, where the fund lost 4 billion rands. There are lots of other cases where this happened, and if it, uh, at the Party Commission, now uh, at SCOP, on the 19th of February last year, uh, members of SCOP accused uh, the GEPF of only learning about what was going wrong at the PIC through newspaper reports and by other parties, I, I uh, suggest, uh, like Amar GP. Adamus, uh, thank you for your contribution this evening. He represents government pensioners and, as you can hear, a pretty angry man. Yeah, just with regards to that whole AO scandal, um, I just want to unpack further because I've got quite a decent understanding of what happened there. Basically, they went to the, the PIC with this valuation. They valued the company at $15 billion. The PIC put in $4 billion, which was essentially just under 40% stake in the business. And basically, what they are doing with that money now is they are feeding it into, into all the subsidiaries. Or sorry, AO is a subsidiary of um, AEI, which is African Equity Media. The old second genre. Yes, mm-hmm. the old second genre. And, and that money is essentially just funding dividends uh, into the parent company, AEI, the old Sukunjala, and, and AIR. Um, so, yeah. So the pensioners' money is going down a pit, and unlikely, certainly from what Adamus has been writing and, and uh, talking about, to ever be recoupable. It doesn't sound very good, Stephen. You said the governance is atrocious. I guess that's one uh, branch of it. Yeah, it's very, you know, it's it's very sad and very concerning and very disappointing because, uh, you know, a lot of people have picked up on this, the journalists have picked up on this, and even at the time, uh, at the AO listing, I mean, it was, it was, it was well publicized that it was inflated, you know, by a factor of five or ten, you know, so it wasn't, you know, this... This isn't a, a valuation dispute that it's a marginal, you know, is it 20 or 30%. It's a factor of 10 times. Uh, and, you know, the fact that there's no accountability and the trustees must take responsibility. You know, ultimately, the trustees of a pension fund have a fiduciary duty to the to the fund, to the members of the fund. So they, they you know, uh, legally, uh, they should be apolitical. They should not be influenced in any way whatsoever. Uh, you know, there's a fiduciary duty. You owe you owe that. Um, you know, but clearly that isn't happening, and there is no accountability. But you know, the government in, 
the government employees pension fund, the GEPF, it's a it's a it's a law unto itself. Literally, literally, it's 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 not governed by the Pension Fund Act. So when we talk about Reg 28 and all of those constraints, it's not governed by that. So that's what I'm trying to get across. You know, it's it's it really it's this 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 enormous liability that uh, the country uh, and the taxpayers carry on behalf of government, and with a lack of uh, the lack of transparency and accountability, and the shenanigans that are so blatantly out there, you know that is concerning, and that should definitely be uh, under the president's uh, remit of cleaning up the governance, uh, the accountability. You know that's a really big place to start with two trillion rand of assets. Uh, the president only a couple of weeks ago, in his weekly letter, praised investigative journalists. I wonder if he's going to take some tips from them uh, regarding the whole story with AO. Uh, But we we thank Adamus for giving us his point of view. Well, let's get on to that undergreed story now, uh, which my colleague Nadia Swat put together for us. Degreeless jobs are in demand. That's according to this interesting podcast by our partners at Bloomberg. Reporters Matt Miller and Kaylee Lanes discuss job demand with the co-founder of Azuna, Andrew Hunter. All right, let's get over right now um, to Andrew Hunter. He's the co-founder of Azuna. I told you, um, well, everyone everyone knows uh, how desperate companies are for workers. I saw a story yesterday that the governor of Montana is giving people $1,500 stipends if they'll just come back to work for like four weeks uh, Andrew is the co-founder and economist at Adzuna, which is a job search engine. So, Andrew, how um, how dire is the situation here that we're seeing states all over the place do everything they can to get people to to stop, you know, whatever they're doing at home and come back to uh, actually working in a job? Hi, Matt, and a real pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely right. So what we're seeing in the U.S. at the moment is hiring levels at 15% above February 2020, so pre-pandemic levels. So the job ad inventory is there. Folks are getting back to work and, and, and hiring, but luring in those candidates is proving to be increasingly difficult uh, in specific sectors, but also specific uh, states uh, all around the country. What we're seeing at, at Zuna is uh, booming hiring in healthcare and nursing, in logistics and warehouse, and in construction and manufacturing. Those are the three uh, sectors where uh, we're seeing double-digit percentage increases uh, year-on-year in activity. But yeah, as you say, the challenge is getting folks into those jobs fast and giving them the confidence to return to work. And in those sectors that are hiring the most right now, many of them are jobs that don't require a college degree. What's driving that bounce back? So if you think about the last 12 to 14 months, uh, and the way that the economies shifted towards this um, e-commerce boom, um, at-home economy where delivery and logistics and, and warehouses are becoming increasingly important to the heartbeat of the economy, that's where such a huge amount of this job creation is occurring. And, and many of those roles are accessible to folks without a degree. So what we did at Zuna is we indexed um, about 4 million job vacancies from the last two months and looked at those roles that did not specifically say we require a degree. And it was well over half of the vacancies where uh, that wasn't a stipulation. So that should give some optimism to, um, to those that aren't educated up to a college level. And I think the other point to make is you don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg to work at a technology company. Hmm. So, um, 
Isn't that an interesting uh, clip there, Stephen? Uh, I, we had on our premium newsletter this morning information from the Wall Street Journal that Joe Biden is allowing in entrepreneurs from all over the world. He's reversed something that Donald Trump had. As long as you've got a business that you can put $250,000, uh, which is not a heck of a lot. It's about, what, under 5 million rand. And uh, $250,000 and you employ 10 people, they will give you residency for five years. So entrepreneurs are, are being attracted by the U.S. They're creating jobs not just for college uh, or for uh, graduates, uh, university graduates. It seems like the world of work is becoming a very interesting place, particularly in this biggest economy in the world. Yes, you know, the U.S., they, they, they are amazing. They get themselves into trouble quite quickly, but they certainly get themselves out of trouble faster than anyone. So you really have to uh, admire that. And the unemployment rate, uh, it's quite exceptional to think that it would, I think it's just 6.1%, something like that. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is an amazing uh, economy. And it's also good to see uh, that uh, people who don't have degrees can get jobs because it wasn't very long ago we were concerned that robots were going to take away all these jobs. And if you look at jobs like warehouses and logistics, uh, you know, we, you actually worried that there was going to be a shortage of, 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 of jobs available. And now it seems as if there's a shortage of candidates. So that's really interesting. And also along those lines, uh, Alec, you may have seen that uh, Google uh, is also now starting to hire people that don't have, have jobs. And these are for technical jobs that they say they can train you in six months. You know, they can train you and equip you to be, you know, you're not going to be a high-end software engineer, but certainly to kind of, you know, be technically proficient uh, in that. So it's quite amazing the, the the innovation that takes place in the U.S. at all levels. And to the um, desire to, in, to bring in entrepreneurs from all over the world to help them with their employment situation. Well, BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Here's Justin. The JSE All Share Index was a bloodbath today, sharply low at 67,300. NASP is down 2% to 3,000. 200 rand a share as 10 cent was weaker uh, in Hong Kong this morning. Process down 3.3% to a touch over 1,400 rand a share. The share is nearly 30% off its highs and deep and into deep market, deep bear market territory. Froneman's Sabanya still water lost 4% to 65 rand a share as the positive Q1 update is simply a distant memory. Harmony shed 5.5% to 68 rand as even safe haven commodities were sold off today. And lastly, Hyprop lost 5% to 28 rand a share as the company announced an accelerated book build, which raised approximately 360 million rand. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand to the dollar, 19 rand 80 to the pound, and 17 rand 03 to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,829 an ounce. Brent crude is flat at $68.40 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 780,000 rand a Bitcoin. 780,000. Long way from 900 and what, what thousand. But uh, anyway, just beware. This market report was made just for you by BrightRock. The first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. And just to remind you, we've got another 12J webinar on Biz News tomorrow at noon. Uh, Jaltex, John T. Sachs and Gaurav Nair will unpack the appeal of the top performing 12J investment for 2019 and 2020. If you don't know what 12J is, it is a tax incentive Benefit that government is doing away with at the end of June. So if you've got a tax problem 
if you're earning 125,000 rand a month or more, you definitely have a tax problem. That's when you're paying over 45% of your income in tax. If you invest through it into a, a pre-qualifying 12J company, and, and uh, Jonti and, and Gaurav have, have got um, opportunities to, to discuss there, then you can write the full 45% uh, of your salary back against your income tax. So actually, what happens is the tax man pays half the investment. It's a fantastic investment, so good that uh, that's why they're doing away with it. Treasury has actually cancelled it from the 30th of June. There's a webinar at noon tomorrow. If you want to attend, it is free, but you have to register. Go on to biznews.com, look down the right-hand side, and you'll see that there is a uh, registration button. Well, that's it from us uh, for this Tuesday evening. We look uh, look forward to being back to you on Wednesday, which is tomorrow at 5.30. And remember, you can get us on FMR in, in Cape Town, free to air, of course, uh, on biznewsradio.com, anywhere in the world. And for a little bit of fun, go onto the Biznews TV YouTube channel, subscribe to it, and we'll tip you off every time Biznews uh, Power Hour is coming on air. From our guest co-host, Stephen Nathan, uh, from sound engineer Dudu Masuku, and, of course, Justin Rowe-Roberts and myself, Alec Hogg. It's been our pleasure. We'll be back in your company again tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.